I'd like for you to take the Word of God, please, and turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. And uh, we're going to look at this morning a mother's faith. Mother's faith, by the way, the uh, devotion on the front of the bulletin was written by uh, Kurt Skelly, pastor of Faith Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And he wrote a devotion with the same title, A Mother's Faith. We've included that on the bulletin this morning. And it'll fit well with the message, I think. 2 Kings chapter 4 and verses 1 through 7. 2 Kings 4 and verses 1 through 7. A mother's faith. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. Creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. But when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more. The oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil. Pay thy debt, live thou and thy children of the rest. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the testimony, the faith that this mother had. And we thank you, Lord, for faithful mothers all over this world, faithful mothers who are with you. Thank you for them, Father. I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. We're counting on you, counting on your word. Strengthen my voice, Father, please, I pray, and help us to forget about everything else and just, just be with you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. I can only imagine that in the congregation, in the building, those watching on Facebook Live or listening via dial-up, that there would have to be testimony after testimony after testimony of, of faithful mothers. I'm sure we could open it up and probably talk for the remainder of this time about a mother who is faithful, a mother who is faithful to God and set the example for, for her children. I think that's a wonderful thing. I was reading the news this week, and there was a Hollywood actor that every one of us would know his name. And as I just, I'll mention his name, and as soon as I mention his name, I know that all the jokes concerning his strength are going to pop up into your mind, but Chuck Norris. He was in the news and was giving a testimony about his, about his mother. You know Chuck Norris, right? You, now you're dying to know one of the jokes. I'm just dying to tell you. Chuck Norris and Superman had a push-up contest, and whoever lost had to wear their underwear on the outside of their clothes. That's how tough Chuck Norris is, right? Did you know that Chuck Norris, this is true, Chuck Norris was born on the same day that Hitler surrendered. Coincidence? There's all kinds of those silly jokes. but Chuck Norris um, uh, is a Hollywood actor. Uh, oh, you probably heard of him. He's the action hero, karate guy. 
I don't know much about him, you know, beside that. I do know that he's a conservative man. But anyway, he said in this news article this week, he said that it was the prayers of his mother, prayers of his mother that kept him from being swallowed up by Hollywood. And I thought, what a wonderful testimony of a Christian woman, a faithful Christian woman who prayed for her children, and we thank God for that. And I'm sure that there's testimonies of that throughout uh, those uh, that are in the building watching on Facebook Live. I know that's true of my mother. Uh, I lost my mother uh, just uh, shortly before Mother's Day six years ago. And it's a day, a special day for me to remember her. If you've never seen my mother's video, ask me for it. They did a video of her, and her faith is just, it's, it, I, I like watching it because it reminds me um, of my faith you know, where it comes from. My mother said this, and I just share this with you before we move on, and you've heard me say it before, but my mother said this. She said that uh, in, in the face of death, she said, I'm not going to live one day longer, or one day shorter than God intended for me to live. That was her response to, to imminent death. She had cancer twice. The second round got her. But she said that. She said, I'm not going to live one day longer nor one day shorter than God intended for me to live. Tremendous woman of faith. I thank God for that. But a mother's faith is powerful. So powerful. It can't be, can't be understated. Can't be, uh, under, can, can be underestimated. But can't be understated the, the power of a mother's faith. And if you're a mother today, I hope this message will encourage you. And if you're not a mother, it's going to encourage you anyway. I want to notice, first of all, in this story of a widow woman uh, who is really facing a grim reality, I want to I show you some things. First of all, notice the appeal that was made. The widow woman's appeal was based on her burden. She, she was facing some real problems here. She had lost her husband. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wise, the sons of the prophets, unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. She'd lost her husband. Many of you have lost a husband, You've lost a loved one. Now, I can't, I can't say that I understand that. I can say that I can imagine what it must be like after being married to this wonderful woman for going on 29 years this year. I cannot imagine what it must be like for you to lose your husband or to lose your wife, a loved one. I've known many. I've, I've walked with many through it. I can see what it does, but I haven't experienced it yet. But what, what, a, what a grim reality. Here she is. She's lost her husband. Her husband's dead. During the time in which the Word of God was written, one of the most vulnerable members of, of society was a widow. Um, it would have been difficult for this woman, uh, without a husband, to make a livable wage. It was just the culture. And especially a widow woman with children. She wasn't just trying to fend for herself. She had children to take care of. Matter of fact, uh, God made provision for that in, uh, in the law that he gave to Moses that he instructed the nation of Israel to leave the corners of their fields when they gleaned during the harvest so that people like this widow woman could go and, and could come and gather food for themselves and for their children. So she's in a desperate position. In this, particularly in this culture, the, the widow woman's husband had been a, school, a student in the school of the prophets. We notice in verse number one again, now 
there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. Now, the sons of the prophets were not the literal children of the prophets. They were rather those who were studying for service to God under the prophets. It was a, I don't know, we might call it a mentoring program today. So she's not saying that, uh, that she was a literal, that her husband was a literal child of a prophet, uh, but rather he was one of these sons of the prophets the, that went to the school of the prophets here, would study under this mentorship type program uh, under the prophets for service unto the Lord. The widow woman's husband, if, if he had that, that position, if he was in that place, he had to have been a God-fearing man, at least. Uh, and, and he must have believed correctly, and he must have behaved correctly in order to be uh, considered one of the sons of the prophets. There were certain, I'm sure, uh, requirements, you know, that, that it would be somebody who would be minded and, and mannered toward that type of thing to, to be used of God in that way. God's hand had to be on them. So as much as he believed and as much as he behaved correctly, it appears that he had made some unwise financial decisions. Because when he died, he left her with some debt. That's not a good thing. And if there's one lesson that we learn today, don't leave your wife with debt, fellas, when, she die, when you die. Let's do our best not to do that. So uh, her burden is increased now. She's already a widow woman in a society which it's very difficult for her to make a livable wage. She's got children to take care of, and on top of all of that, she has a debt to pay off. And she was, not only that, but she was about to lose her son. So she's lost her husband. She has this burden, this financial burden upon her, this uh, just life burden upon her, and now she's about to lose her sons. Look at the second part of uh, verse number 1. Uh, which says, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. In those days, if you didn't pay off your debts, they would come take your kids to work off the debt. Be bondmen. So now she's facing all of this. Can you imagine this poor lady in her poor estate? She comes crying, makes this appeal to Elisha, the prophet of God. Now, we notice the appeal. Let's notice, secondly, the answer. Elisha. Uh, was a man of means. If we were to read in 1 Kings chapter 19, we're introduced to Elisha. And uh, when Elijah, not to be mistaken, uh, was sent of God to go visit Elisha and pass on the mantle of ministry, he found Elisha working. He's plowing a field with, now listen, 12 yoke of oxen. 12 yoke of oxen. Now, for a family in this time to have one ox would have been good, would have been sufficient. They would have been able to do something to, to till out, to scratch out a living from the ground. But to have 12 yoke of oxen, that's 24 oxen. You know, two in a yoke. 12 yoke of oxen indicates to us some level of wealth. This is Elisha. And he comes from family. Not to mention, you know, an ox can do a lot of work. An ox can plow a lot of, lot of ground. They must have had quite a spread to necessitate the use of 12 yoke of oxen. And so uh, Elisha is a man of means. Now, why did, the, why did the widow woman go to Elisha? Because he was a man of means? I don't think so. 
Elisha was a man of means, and he could have said, well, how much money do you need? He probably had the, had the means to do that. One of the few rich preachers in the world, right? And he probably had the means to just ask her, what, what's, your, you know, what's the debt? What, how can I help you? How much money do you need? But he didn't. Elisha probably, if he didn't do it himself, could have had or did have the connections to other people that could have chipped in and they could have all worked together and helped, but they didn't do that either. I find that interesting. And so instead, in verse number 2, Elisha says, what shall I do for thee? That's what he said. In other words, let me paraphrase that. He's asking her, what do you want me to do about it? And then he goes on in uh, verse number 2, he says, tell me what hast thou in the house? The widow woman and her sons clearly didn't have much in the way of resources, and so she said in verse number two, not anything save a pot of oil. Now, uh, we've, we've been in spots before, but I, I, can, I don't know that we ever had to say the only thing that we have left is a, is a pot of oil. This lady's in a desperate circumstance. Elisha had the, probably had the money or may have had the money available to bail her out, but he didn't. He had the connections uh, to maybe get some others involved and put together the money, but he didn't. Instead, he looks to her and he says, well, what do you have in the house? And she simply replies to him, we, we don't have anything, not a thing, not anything, save a pot of oil. Now, I want to stop here and just take a quick lesson. We tend to focus on what we do not have. God wants us to consider what we do. And, and we see what Elisha was doing here. I believe he was doing this of the Lord. I believe the Lord directed him to this. Again, he could have taken care of the dead himself, most likely. One of two ways that we talked about, but he didn't. And he asked the woman, he, he said, uh, lady, I know you're in a desperate circumstance. I, I know your husband has died and, and you're, you're still reeling from that. He left you with debt. You're trying to figure that out. And the creditor is now coming. He's threatening to take your sons away. I know this is a tremendous burden on you. And I know all that you don't have. And I understand all that you're about to lose. But what do you have? What do you have? Think about this. What did Moses have save a rod which was used to, by God to deliver Israel from bondage from Egypt? What did David have but a little leather sling that God used to slay the giant? A little boy who was following the crowd when he went to see Jesus had nothing but a little lunch of five loaves and two small fish, but God used it to feed 5,000 people and had 12 basketfuls left over. It's amazing what God can do with what has been surrendered to him. And he, he asked this lady, well, what do you have? He tried to shift her focus. Not only was a, Elisha a, a man of means, he was a man of miracles. He had the power of God on his life in an unusual way. Do you remember what happened when Elijah passed the torch to, as it is, as it were, to Elisha? And God allowed Elijah to grant any wish to Elisha that he wanted. Do you remember what Elisha asked for? A double portion of the Spirit of God that was upon Elijah. He said, anything you ask. We can find it in 2 Kings in chapter 2 and verse number 9 if you want to look there later. But God allowed him to grant any request that Elisha should ask, and Elisha asked for a double portion of the Spirit of God. Elisha was a man of miracles. When the woman brought her appeal to Elisha, he could have performed a swift miracle. 
He could have waved his hand in the air and threw some dust in, and the problem has gone away. He may have raised her husband from the dead. He may have done any number of things, but he could have performed a very public miracle to meet the widow woman's need, but he didn't. Instead, listen to this, instead, he gave the widow woman instructions that required her to act by faith. By faith. Elisha's answer required trust. The widow woman had to follow the instructions before she could see the results. You see? Uh, he could have uh, made the problem go away by his means. He could have made the problem go away by a miracle, but he didn't choose to do that and instead gave this widow woman instructions in his answer, gave instructions that required her to act by faith, required trust. Perhaps the most important part of this account is how it highlights the nature of faith. Elisha did not uh, perfectly explain what was going to happen, did he? He told the widow woman to gather the vessels and to begin pouring the oil that she had into them, but he didn't give her any other detail beyond that. That's all he did. He didn't give her the great detail. Faith is committing to God's word whether or not we understand how things are going to work out. Whether or not we have all the details, if faith says, I'm committing, I'm trusting in God's word, I'm putting my faith there, so that I can see the results. The world says, I've got to see it to believe it. Faith says, you've got to believe it to see it. It's a matter of trust, biblical faith. Biblical faith requires three things. Number one, it requires knowledge. We have to know what it is that the Bible says. Number two, it requires conviction. We've got to agree. In order to have biblical faith, we've got to agree with what God's Word says. For example, when it says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we agree, yes, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I agree with that. But then we have to place our trust there. We have to realize, I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to, for example, realize that the Word of God says the wages of sin is death. It's separation. Ultimately, it would be separation from God for eternity. The wages of sin is death. And so we say, I know that. I believe that the wages of sin is death. And so I believe that the wages of sin is, is my death, you see. There's an element of commitment there, trust. God has said this. I believe it, and I'm making it my own. We uh, also need to understand, we need to know that God commendeth his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid that sin debt for us. And so we know that, then we believe it, then we say, he paid for my sin. And then uh, we uh, come to the knowledge that the word of God has said in John 1.12, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So now I know that and I believe that. Now I say, I am going to receive the payment Jesus made for my sin. Make it my own. There's an element of commitment and trust. And so faith, biblical faith requires all three of those things. This widow woman went to Elisha and in his answer, he gave her a set of instructions that required her to act in faith. 
She understood what it was that she had to do. I've got to go borrow some vessels. I've got one pot of uh, pot with oil in it. I've got to go out and I need to borrow some vessels. She understood it. She knew it in her head. She believed it because she did exactly that. She got her sons involved and they went out and they borrowed vessels from people. I don't know what the arrangements were, how that all works out, but uh, she not only... Um, believed it, or knew it in her head, believed it in her heart, but there was action that went into it. There was action as she would pour the oil into the other vessels and so forth. She committed to it. There was a part of it uh, that she had, uh, had to trust, had to trust and make it her own. So we see the appeal. We see the answer. Now let's look at the accomplishment. Notice the extent of the miracle in verses 5 and 6. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. And so we notice the extent of the miracle. The widow's little pot of oil filled every vessel they had borrowed. There was no more and there was no less. The, the oil was only limited by the number of vessels that they had the faith to borrow. Now she had enough trust to do it, and we're not knocking her for that. We're not criticizing her for that. She had enough uh, commitment to this thing, to know what God said, the man of God said, to believe it in her heart, to go ahead and borrow the vessels, to begin to pour the oil. And I'm sure that after the first pot filled up, she probably thought, well, how did that happen? And she went to the second pot and began, to, and that pot filled up, and her faith is being strengthened, and now she's to the third pot, and she fills that third pot up, and, and then and she, she's looking at this and wondering, how is this all happening? And her faith is being strengthened in the fourth pot, and the fifth pot, and the sixth pot, and the seventh pot. The oil's filling them all up, and then they run out of pots, and she says, go get another vessel, and the boys say, Mom, there's not any more. And she's thinking, I should have had more faith than that. You ever have that happen? Our faith, our faith is sometimes what limits God. You know that? I know I've given this illustration before. A dear friend, he's a national pastor. Has planted. I, I couldn't begin to tell you how many churches he's planted in India. His name is Sadir. He's so dear to me. I was on the phone with him one time. and We were dedicating the yearbook. We had a Christian school down in Southern California. We were dedicating the yearbook to him and all the wonderful work that he did there. I mean, gospel work, yes, absolutely. And the most important thing, gospel work that he did, bringing people to faith in Christ out of Hindi religion and out of Islam and all different things you can imagine. Wonderful gospel work that he had, but he also met the needs of people. Oh, a charitable man. You know what amazes me about Sadir? Sadir saw a need, and he recognized, I've got the ability to meet that need, and so he'd meet, help to meet that need. He, he doesn't do it like the American Christians. The American Christian idea of charity is, I see person A has, person A pro, uh, sees person B has a problem, so they go to person C to meet the need. No, that's not biblical charity. So Sadir is doing a wonderful work, and we dedicated the yearbook to him. And we were ending the phone call, and there's another man there, and I don't remember, remember which one of us said it, but we asked Sadir, Sadir, is there something we can pray for you about? And it got quiet. 
because Sadir was trying to think of something for us to pray for. And so one of us jokingly said, you want us to pray for a million dollars for you? And Sadir immediately broke into conversation and said, no, 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 no. Don't pray for a million dollars for me. I don't want to limit God. The extent of this miracle was based on the number of vessels that that woman and her sons had the faith to borrow. But when she started exercising her faith and seeing what God was doing, she was asking, we got to get some more. When she got to the end and the oil stayed, I'm sure, I'm sure she thought I should have had more faith than that. You know, we had our first service at Liberty Lake Baptist Church on September 14th, 2014. Some of you were there. And I set up 55 chairs, mainly because it we could only, that's all the chairs we had. And also because that was all the bigger the room was that we were meeting in. And after the service started and the seats filled up, we had 57 people there. I stayed in the pulpit and the piano player stayed at the piano. We had just enough. After the service, I jokingly said to my wife on the way home, we should have set up 100 chairs. You know, kind of the same thing. We, God filled all the chairs. We exercised faith. God filled the chairs. But our, our, the oil was limited by the number of vessels that they had the faith to borrow. Notice the ex- exhortation after the miracle in verse number 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay the, thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Elisha told her to sell the oil, pay for her debt, and live on the amount that remained. And so we see the appeal, we see the answer from Elisha, we see the accomplishment. Then let's make some applications. And I think there's a lot of applications we can make here throughout this story. Let's talk about a few of those. But then we'll make the Mother's Day application, okay? Because that's why, that's one of the reasons we've come together today to honor our mothers, of course, to honor the Lord, but to honor moms. Many applications could be made. Number, number one, how about this? Debt leads to bondage. That's a biblical principle. Debt leads to bondage. Don't get yourself in debt. This poor lady, her husband died and left her with debt. So that's an application that could be made. Don't get yourself in debt. If you're in debt, get out. You know? You need help with that. We've got resources here at the church to, and when I say resources, I don't mean green stuff. I mean things that will help you to manage your money better, to steward your money better. So debt leads to bondage could be an application. How about this one? We have an obligation to help others, especially those who are of the household of faith. We have a tremendous responsibility for that. I've been reading uh, through Lewis Drummond's book, uh, Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, and, and the amount of charitable work that Spurgeon did was quite remarkable. Orphan homes and schools uh, and, and education and and clothing, uh, places for poor people to get clothing and books and all kinds of wonderful things. You know, Spurgeon really saw that. So we have an obligation to others. How about this application? Be sure that we're not giving to people what they should be getting from God. Amen. Go ahead. You with me still? We should not be giving to people what they should be getting from God. Also, the inverse, be sure that we're not getting from others what we should be getting from God. I think that could be an application that we made in this in this account we find here. 
How about another one? Do what we can with what we have where we are. Amen. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Stop looking at what you don't have. Stop looking at what we don't have. Start looking at what we do. Here's another one. Have faith in God. Faith is committing to God's word, whether or not we understand how things are going to work out. And remember that biblical faith requires knowledge, conviction, and trust. There's got to be all three. Now, let's make the Mother's Day application, and we'll wrap this thing up, and we'll let you go home and enjoy Mother's Day meal with your mother. Mother's Day application. I want to focus for just a second on those two boys. What a testimony of a mother's faith. Seeing their mother's faith, faith and being part of it had to have been a powerful impact on those two widows' sons. Mother's faith. Listen, if you're watching or listening or you're in the building with us today, never underestimate the power and the importance of your faith in God. How powerful that is. I don't know that, there, there are few things more powerful in this world than, mom, than your faith. The faith that you have in God. We started off talking about that. It is an amazing thing. Your faith. Look, none of us enjoy a grim reality. You like facing things like this poor lady faced? Maybe you've lost your husband, you've lost a spouse, and, and you're faced with, how do I make a living? How do I pay off this debt? The creditor's here and he's about to take my kids, you know? None of us like to face a grim reality. However, facing a grim reality does offer us the opportunity for us to show our children and others that God is real, that faith is important, right? The breakdown of this transfer of faith from one generation to the other that put Israel in a terrible spiritual condition in the times of the judges. One more scripture and then we'll conclude this thing. We'll give an invitation in Judges chapter 2. I want to show you this. Judges chapter 2. The breakdown of faith between one generation to the next that put Israel in a terrible spiritual condition. Judges 2, starting at verse number 7, the word of God says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of God, died, being 110 years old. They buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnathiris, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them. Hey, there's another generation coming. Your faith might be what it needs to be, Mom, but there's another generation coming. And facing those grim realities, facing those financial problems, and facing those physical, those dreadful physical issues that we have come up in our lives, the COVID or the cancer or whatever it might be, facing uh, emotional uh, grim realities, facing all these different things, these grim realities, gives us a great opportunity to show our children and others that God is real and faith is important because there's a generation that's watching. Another generation came 
after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. From one generation to the next, the faith was gone. That's a failure. Let that not be said of us. Our faith, whether you're a mother or father or grandmother, grandfather, anybody else, I don't care who you are this morning. If you've trusted in Christ alone as your only hope of a relationship with God and a home in His presence for eternity, your faith matters. It's got to be an active, vibrant faith. Look, the next generation is not going to do what we say. They're going to do what we do. They're going to sit in church like we sit in church. They're going to serve like we serve, only less. They're not going to do what we say. And someday there's going to be a a younger preacher standing in this pulpit that takes the place of this preacher. When I step out of time and into eternity, there'll be another pastor here. I, I promise you this. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that was a word for Liberty Lake Baptist Church. This church is going to perpetuate and and hopefully our faith will perpetuate along with it. And someday there's going to be a, a, a pastor standing here, a different pastor standing here, and he's going to be speaking to a different generation. Now let's give them the help that, that we can give them so that when he stands in the pulpit and he exercises his faith, he'll be able to equip others who have as great or greater faith because of of those that went on before them. that saw in the face of grim reality that they they took action and they said, you know, I know what God has said, I, I, I agree with what God has said, and therefore I am putting my faith and my trust and action into what God has said. That faith will be passed from one generation to the next. And it won't be said of us what was said of the nation of Israel, that another generation came that did not know the Lord. That's what's hanging in the balance here, moms. The death of a generation. That's a grim reality. So let us by faith just by faith, do what we're supposed to do actively and vibrantly for the cause of Christ, for His glory. As your bowed eyes are closed, Mrs. Knoft is going to come play a hymn of invitation. The name of the invitation song is Only Believe. Only Believe. Maybe you're here this morning and God's spoken to your heart. You've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. I invite you to come. Boy, I've, I prayed, I've been praying, I prayed in particular the past few days that the Lord would bring some poor lost sinner to faith in Christ today. If you've not yet trusted in Christ as your Savior, by the way, there's not a greater gift you could give to your mother than to finally just say yes to Jesus. I'm not, don't look into yourself. Look to Jesus. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved, for I am God and there is none else. Look to God, be saved today. Don't let that adversary talk you out of it. 
have enough faith to say yes to Jesus. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me, just like that lady in the story. You think it made sense to her to go gather a bunch of pots of oil? All she had was one little old pot of oil. Did it make sense to her to go ahead and start pouring into those pots? But I tell you what, when she did what God said to do, her faith was strengthened and, and it was blessed. So it'll be true for you. You might not understand. You're blinded by the devil right now if you don't have Christ. And it might not all make sense to you, but if you've got enough sense to realize that the Word of God says that you're a sinner because of your sin, you deserve to go to hell. But Jesus paid for your sin by His shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection on the cross at Calvary. And if you'll accept that payment, if you'll place your trust right there in the hands of Christ, the Bible says He'll save you. I invite you to do that this morning. Exercise biblical faith, knowledge, conviction, and trust. Be saved. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a mother, and you'd want to just pray for a, 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 maybe one of your children. Maybe a, a mother that would be uh, listening to this message would realize that, that, you, that you faced a grim reality. You've been a poor example of, of what faith ought to be, and maybe you'd get that right with God this morning. Maybe a father. Doesn't this have to be the mother's? Anybody. Of the Lord may have spoken to you this morning. Let him have his way. Let's leave this place having made some determination, some commitment to live more soberly, more righteously, more godly in this present world. God help us. Let's have an invitation time.